Hey dads, you're listening to Abba Father Podcast, where we discuss how the Bible and theology informs and equips us as parents. We believe the more we learn about our Heavenly Father and apply His teachings, the better it makes us as dads. I'm Matt. I'm Brando. And I'm Cameron. Welcome to Abba Father. Today, we're talking about comfort in times of suffering. So today's story is going to set us up really well for some of the discussion we'll have later because when we're talking about suffering usually we think of some of the most traumatic and painful situations that any of us have ever had especially as adults Um, but we also want to think about suffering in the terms of our child and our children and so for me the story that comes to mind is recently quest was learning how to ride her bike and without training wheels And the amount of emotional and even physical pain um, that happened in just the course of 30 minutes one evening was just so much for her. And she threw the bike to the ground, she screamed, and she just said she wanted to give up. And she was done. She just wanted to go inside. And then she started bad-talking herself and saying, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Put my training wheels back on. I I'm not I'm not I'm not good for this. I can't do this. And that's my response to her. You know, this is where the podcast might either show some vulnerabilities or maybe some um opportunities, but I I had a choice and I wanted to balance it the best that I could. Do I just comfort her? in the suffering, just support her, make her feel better, and remove the thing causing suffering and just say, hey, hey, bike's not a big deal. Go, you know, let's go inside and draw a rainbow or something. But then I was also conflicted with, should I push her? Should I get her to endure this suffering to help her learn out of her failure, out of her problems, out of her pain, and grow. You know, and I think many times as dads will, parents, all of us, moms and dads, will run into this conflict. And at that time, I the decision I made at the moment was, I want to encourage her to not give up. And so I got down on eye level, and I said, I'm really sorry I know this is really stressful. I know that this is hard. But let me tell you about when we do hard things. It does hurt. But isn't it going to be great when you learn how to ride this and you're able to help others when they're learning how to ride or they're having trouble doing things? You'll be able to encourage them and I know for my daughter, she's she's a good encourager, so I was kind of playing off of that. I just said, you know, maybe a brother and sister that you'll have in the future will be learning, and you'll be able to tell them, it was hard, but eventually I got it. Um, that took her a little bit, but then I said at the end, but I'm not going to force you to do this. If, we, if you want to go back home, I'm not going to be disappointed in you. I'm not going to, you know say that you didn't make it or that you failed 
I'm just gonna they're just let it be and we can come back to it to another point. I'm not gonna hold this against you. This is your choice. So I just said, what do you want to do? Do you want to keep trying or do you want to put the training wheels back on and just ride like you used to or do you just want to go home and and uh, do something else for the night? And she decided to keep riding and then she ended up riding without the training wheels and and now she's she's really proud of herself and um, I use that that little evening. Um, I've been using it for months now. When she's frustrated with something else, I'll tell her, "Hey, that's not. This is not you. This is not the girl that I know. The girl I know learned how to ride a bike without training wheels, even though it was really hard." And she brings it up sometimes, and she goes, "You know, Daddy, I learned how to ride my bike without training wheels." I'm like, "Yeah, you did. I'm I'm proud of you." And I'm, you know, that was, that was a hard thing. And I think in that moment there was suffering and my attempt to comfort her was also mixed with challenge, was invited some, you know, thinking about the future, but then also provided a way out. So I did, I guess, a whole host of things to try and help her. Um, but that's what, that's where I was. And so that's, that was my attempt of comforting her in her time of suffering, even though it wasn't, she had a, you know, a family member pass away suddenly that caused her emotional grief. Mm-hmm. It was something that where she was, she was definitely suffering. I think we all probably have um, similar stories as dads, where, depending on how you would define suffering, it's really difficult things that our kids have faced, and then we have to figure out the best way to handle it, and so. I appreciate you sharing that story, Matt, because that's pretty inspiring for me as a dad. The patience, the the um, compassion that you shoot that you showed, uh, Quest, and I think this is a really healthy discussion for us as dads, because being a pastor as well, I'm I'm well aware that we don't generally talk about suffering in our American culture because there isn't at least for us where we live and who we are and the kind of communities we live in, there's not just this prevailing suffering culture. And let's be honest, we like to just pretend there is no suffering because it's uncomfortable to admit there's suffering uh, um, in other people's lives. And uh, yeah, I mean, for a lot of us dads, the biggest suffering is these challenges that our little kids face and and sometimes and i guess it's by god's goodness and grace in our lives that that there isn't something more traumatic happening so i'm not saying we should feel bad that there isn't something more along the spectrum of suffering that we experience but maybe a lot of dads can relate to what you're saying matt that hey this this was pretty pretty hard for my kiddo to go through so any ideas why though that might be the case right out of the gate here before we open up some scripture as to why we kind of avoid suffering, like as embracing suffering as, as a community, as a culture, and kind of even in our church context, we, we like to pump everybody up. We don't usually talk about the fact that sin and death and stub toes are inevitable in our lives, right? Yeah, I'm... I have some theories about why this is a problem. Um, 
so for one, the biblical context, we have an entire book dedicated to grief called Lamentations. We have Psalms dedicated to grief on a corporate and private uh, context. And grief is, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those that mourn. You know, Jesus speaks directly to people in suffering. But it's interesting. I think Greco-Roman influence on our Western world sees if you can attain virtues perfectly, then joy and happiness and life and good things will follow. Like that's the, you are the center. So if you're the center, then happiness and peace and life and all that comes from your your works that you can supply. And that's been morphed in the Christian-influenced Greco-Roman Western idea in that prosperity gospel, insert God into the equation and give to him, submit to him, and then he gives all the joy, peace, and everything's good. And you can have your best life now, right today, without any things getting in the way. And then you can take it to a more cult level of if anything bad happens to you, it's because you are doing something wrong and you need to get it out of your life. Uh, or if you experience illness, it's because you're you, it's sin. And I think there's there's you can keep going down the rabbit hole, but I think some of the more common ideas of if you're not happy, then you're not a Christian because you should have happiness overflowing. You should have joy everlasting. You should have peace that uh, goes beyond understanding. We we hear those things and then we go, oh, well, I don't feel happy all the time. Maybe this is my lack of belief. This is my lack of righteousness. This is my lack of something. I'm not doing it right. I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading the Bible enough. But grief and suffering and going through pain, going through the desert is testing and God wants to comfort us. He wants to he wants to be with us in those moments, not say Oh, how did you get there? It must be because you're apart from me. You know, I think there is some connection with that, but I think there's also like we live in a broken world. We are going to experience it, but we can have hope. We can have joy. That's not happiness, but joy in that hope in the future that gets us through and gives us comfort. But yeah, I think, I think a lot of that's that Greco-Roman Western self-centered happiness idea yeah i think you're onto something there i think also uh just being in a such a wealthy uh culture you know the 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 age we live in is undeniably i mean some people do try to deny it but i think they can they can't bring an argument that would hold up that we are in undeniably the uh, wealthiest, most prosperous, healthiest um, society that has ever been on the face of the earth. We have uh, the longest life expectancy in the modern age. Uh, the only thing that that shortens your life expectancy is your own foolish choices, like 
you know, the number one killer is heart disease. Uh, and that is usually from eating yourself to death or, uh, doing other bad habits. Like the, the only suffering we seem to experience is self-inflicted uh, in, in our culture today. Um, and I think, and let's be real, uh, in any culture, suffering is bad and we don't like it. And so we will do whatever we can to distance ourselves from it, to try to ignore that it's there, to try to forget about it. And we just happen to live in a society today where we can go long periods of time and kind of forget that suffering is there because we've done so much to insulate ourselves from it. You know, we, we pack away the sick and dying into nursing homes so that we don't have to see it um, and deal with it. We don't keep our elderly dying grandparents in their homes anymore. We, 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 there's, there's so many things where we've insulated ourselves against suffering that we can just forget that it's there because we don't, we want to, we want to forget that it's there because it's bad. We don't like it. Um, and I think, yeah. Um, in that place where we are taking all of those things into account, as we think about how we can walk with our kids through suffering, um, there is a large degree to which we have to treat it subjectively. Just this past week, we went on a family vacation, um, to my most hated place on earth to the beach. Uh, Oh, come on. Most hated. I've gotten, (laughs) I've gotten so much grief by saying that, but it is true. I hate the sand. Oh, I'm with Anakin. I am with Anakin Skywalker on sand. It's rough and it's coarse and it gets everywhere. It's terrible. Um, but, uh, we went with the family on a vacation. We went with all the cousins and everything. And, um, one day the, uh, my brother-in-law and his wife, they went to Disney world with all their kids and which was fun for them. And it was a good thing. Um, we didn't go because we weren't planning on doing that and it's incredibly expensive. So, uh, my son was heartbroken and was just crying that he didn't get to spend that day with his cousin when we were that far, you know, away. And, um, you know, I'm like, there's a part of me that goes, really, it's not a big deal. You don't get to spend the day with your cousin. What, you know, we live 12 hours away from him. You don't get to spend most days with him. Um, but then there's another part of me that goes that this is a, maybe the hardest thing he's experienced is this emotional letdown. And so meeting him there in that, just like you did with quest, just say, recognizing, Yes, there is objective truth, but our experience of the world is subjective and our we we can ju- we judge everything we experience based on what we already know and what we've already experienced and um if we've led a very comfortable life even the slightest inconvenience can be can feel like great suffering. It's just like when you I'm sure we've all experienced a lazy day off where we sat and watched TV all day and then it feels like the greatest chore to get up and get a drink out of the fridge. <laughs> you get, you get used to inertia makes you get used to the state you're in. And, uh, 
any change to it, it's hard. Yeah, you know, you made me think when you were stating the we like to insulate ourselves from suffering because it's it's not good. It's evil. It's bad. It's not something that we like. So we want to distance. So when we do that inside of our family, inside of our house household walls, I think that might be where we're getting at with how we engage with our children of so God does not insulate himself from our suffering. He wants to comfort. And but yet we want to retract so that we don't experience like experience it with or be burdened by the suffering and when it comes to our kids I wonder, you know, Brando, you were just saying like we got to try and empathize with that subjective experience. It's easy. It would be easier and more insulated to say, what are you so worried about? You don't see your cousin ever. So get over it. Don't cry. You're acting like a baby. Like the man up kind of things like you insulate your own suffering and I'm going to insulate myself from it. Just let's get rid of this stuff rather than engage, jump in, be in the middle and try and comfort, try and be engaged with it. It's a, it is a different perspective. That is kind of the false image of what it means to be manly is to insulate yourself from all suffering and pretend as though it doesn't matter. And it's not a big deal though. I think what did our Lord Jesus do when he suffered? Um, he suffered and looked ahead to the great joy set before him and didn't just sit down and cry like a baby. And so I think as fathers, we there's a balance of calling our children to bear their suffering with, um, with the grace of the Lord and also in comforting them in it. But maybe we should get into the scripture and see what God has to say about these kinds of things. It's a good idea. So Psalm 121 says this, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. So, first thing, and this is just, this is a tangent thought. If we're really taking how our God the Father interacts with us and how that influences our children, um, sounds like we need to be giving up some sleep. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we could watch over him and and watch over our kids and not sleep. Yeah, that's not going to go very long. 
Um, anyway, well, I guess hey, the, I've missed the infancy. I've missed enough sleep <laughs> yeah. in these boys' lives. So anyway, so um, verse five: the Lord is your shade at your right hand. So Ray Vanderlaan's teachings, um, there's they're out there on YouTube, and he did. Um, it was um, I'll put it in the show notes. It's it's walking with God in the desert, and goes through some of these um, imagery. But we got to think, when we think of shade, and this is to most of the listeners out there, we think of lush North American trees, huge branches, green leaves. You might want to build a treehouse on it, have some stability. You know, you might think of Frodo in Middle Earth and the opening scene of the Fellowship. There's just green everywhere and beautiful, pleasant, shaded areas to, to rest and read a book. But Psalm 21 tree, the shade, like that shade in the desert is a very different kind of shade. It's not the shade that we think of. And God's people are desert people. They're wilderness people. Their text is desert text. Shade is hard to come by, and the trees that provide those shade is just enough. They're sticks, they're thorns, they're branches. But it's just enough to get you by to the next section of desert that you're walking or shepherding. So the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. So he is He is right there. Your right hand is not very far away from you at any given time. Um, that closeness and that shade, that imagery I think is is very important. And I'll let you finish reading this and then we'll start talking about so God is our shade, but does that mean we need to also be shade? That's great. That's great. Verse 5, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Yeah, and um, I'm going to follow up with Isaiah 25, and this is just uh, verse 4. You have been a refuge for the poor. This is speaking to God. A refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. And then in Isaiah 32, this is a pronouncement of the this coming kingdom of righteousness. And Isaiah says, See, a king will reign in righteousness, and rulers will rule with justice. Each one, each of the rulers, will be like a shelter from the wind, and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert, and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. And Isaiah 32, the king reference there is Hezekiah, following corrupt king Ahaz, but in the fullest sense of the prophet's words, um, and I say that because Hezekiah wasn't purely righteous, um, and also he was already reigning as king, so you had this present future tense problem with the announcement there, but that fullness can only be fulfilled in Christ, and the ruler's the true kingdom that's being foreshadowed in this text is fully fulfilled in Christ and the kingdom. And we, as rulers, co-heirs with Christ, his executive 
part of the ministry going out into the nations and executing um, that that partnership, we are restoring justice, providing shelter, providing shade, providing water in the desert um, to other people. So we're we're joining with God in that shade, in that comfort, in that um, water giving in the desert land. Matt, these are some great scriptures. I'm glad you pulled these for us and the imagery of these texts just um just impresses me um it's very holistic um in the church ministry that i'm a part of we strive to be holistic in our community so that it's not just please come sunday mornings but we also do many other things that provide safety, stability, community, um, where there's shade. I mean, for lack of anything else to say there, there's shade for children that don't have shade. And for for families and adults that aren't experiencing or haven't experienced the love of Christ before. So I just love the the language of the scriptures and how we as Christians, in a more broad uh, extent, get to be those rulers. And then as as dads, as parents, how then this becomes even more intimate with our children, right? Yeah, and my my summary thought about all those scriptures as we you were reading them and I put in some of my notes, God is that shade, the shelter from the storm the shade from the heat, protecting us. And then we are called to be that same shade. And if we think of God providing shade for his desert people, his wilderness people, we are to be shade for others in their deserts. But the deserts are going to be different. The reality of the desert is not just physical, but is also spiritual and mental. And when people are in their deserts and we give them shade, we are providing comfort, we provide peace, we provide rest and protection so that, in the same way God does for us, so that we can allow them to go and continue that journey, continue that walk with God until they need shade again. And so the question for me that goes leads back into our discussion is how do we provide shade in that same way for our children. Yeah, I think us providing that shade, um, one thing we can do is is uh, like we've already touched on is is to meet them in it, and not just dismiss the problem they're having. Um, you know, uh, in the I think the story of Job is instructive. Um, Job's so-called friends came along and tried to tell him why his problem was what it was. Um, and, um, it's not until, um, and at at some point he just tells them, I, I just want you to sit and listen. Um, and, and to their credit, that is the first thing they do. They come and they sit with him in his weeping for a time. Um, and I think when we're, when our children are going through suffering, 
we sit and we we hear what they're going through and we um provide that that nearness and we provide that comfort but i also think um just as importantly if not more importantly um we can provide some measure of comfort in their suffering but a a a very important role we have as fathers uh, as Christian fathers is to point them to the one who is the ultimate comfort in those moments of their suffering to share these kinds of scriptures with them and show them, Hey, any small comfort you get from me is only a pale imitation of what God offers to you. And, and, to help them to find that comfort in the Lord. uh, Ultimately, just as, you know, Hezekiah was not the righteous King um, that they were really looking to. It was Christ in the same way. We are not the father that our children need to look to, but they need to look to their heavenly father. And um, we can be a pointer, um, and in, and we are we are good fathers in as far as we are pointers, and uh, and that's about that's our that's probably our most important task. Well, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We're the the branch providing shade, a part of the tree we've been grafted into. Right? Yeah. Oh man, that's deep. Hey, Jesus knew his text. <laughs> We don't want to be too ethereal and spiritual, you know, and, and what people talk about, you know, oh, our thoughts are in prayers are with you and, you know, we could do practical things. Um, James talks about not loving in word and in deed, but in spirit and in truth and loving, um, you know, don't say go and be warmed uh, when we can provide real help uh, to our children. Um, because God, the primary way he has chosen to work in the world that he's created is through his people. And so we, um, we work through that. Yeah. And I can think of, there's many moments in, in my life when it's been hard and the people I remember the most that provided comfort were the ones that did something. They brought a meal over, they called, they spoke, they wanted to meet. Anything other than the message response of, all right, I'll pray for you guys. What can I do? If, if there's anything we can do, just let us know. It's just like, we'll be on call for you. Instead, like the, the most impactful, real life, comforting happens when yeah it goes beyond just word indeed but i'm gonna you know i just decided i'm gonna bring you supper for the next two weeks because you guys sound like you got a lot going on and i you don't want to have to worry about that 
Yeah, that's that's real love right there. Um, we've got a couple in our church that is um, going through some rough stuff and uh, health problems and uh, housing problems and all kinds of problems. And uh, yeah, we could just say, well, we'll pray for you and hope it gets better. But um, no, our church a group of men in our church decided to get together and help them finish the renovations that they can't finish because there's health problems and, uh, you know, going and making it happen because you don't, you, you know, people need, (laughs) we need real world comfort for real world problems. And it's such a convenient, we live in a very convenient time. Like even if you're not the kind of person that, I feel like I'm talking to my congregation here, but like, even if you're not the kind of person that can frame in a room, like you can send somebody $25 DoorDash card. Like there's so many ways that we can comfort people beyond just, I wonder if they're actually praying or not. Cause that's all they said they were doing. <laughs> so, so then what about the, to center us back on being dads and yeah. for our kids, you know? Well, I put a couple questions on there. Um, and I know we got some good notes here, but so one thing I was thinking about is taking all those verses together, man, life sounds pretty bad in those verses. We got, we got winds, we got storms, we got deserts, we got thirst, we got distress, we got poor, we got like overheating and like, that's, that's a lot of intense imagery and you just, you can just see desert written all over that. Um, so those situations that are described is when our father is provides that comfort. So then the follow-up is do our children, do our children experience wind, storm, desert, thirst, distress, poor, you know, heat, those strong imagery. Do, do they experience it? Is that the suffering that they've had that we would then provide comfort in a way that God provides comfort to us. Yeah, I think the easy answer is yes, our children suffer, but it really, um, the answer to this, I think it lines up to with what Brando said, that the suffering is quite subjective. Um, the suffering of a child, um, in the Middle East right now, is a lot different than the suffering that our children are enduring. So, yes, they they endure suffering, but it's going to be a wide range of different things that they suffer with and suffer from. Um, what do you guys think about adult suffering versus our kids' suffering? Because I think of, like, the cares that I have are not the cares of Lucas and Levi, my sons. And I mean, they're 25 years away from having the same cares that I have. So like, is their suffering as, as serious? Cause I'm kind of like sometimes with Brando, it's, I struggle to have compassion for the small things because I see them as only small things. So what, what do we make of their suffering? Or if this is too big of a question, maybe we make it. Yeah, I want to answer it within the context of the verses and then Brando, I know you wanted to say something. Um, so windstorm, desert, thirsty, distress. 
So wind affects everyone, no matter how big or small they are. Um, but the way that it affects them, you know, a little person could be blown away by that, while a stronger person might be able to stand their ground. Um, a storm, same thing, maybe depending on your shelter, how protected you are from that. Um, thirst, you know, that is a thing that everyone can experience, but the amount of water that an adult needs would be more to quench the thirst than a child that maybe would be quenched faster, um, poverty, those, so those, I think those, those contextual imagery, I think they do, they do have a applicability, a universal applicability to humanity, child, adult, elderly, disabled, not the whole spectrum can experience these things because the imagery I think is that, is that open-ended. Yeah, and let's not, I mean, we don't know who might be listening. We may have people in the audience. I know a a family whose daughter who is the same age as my six-year-old daughter who is going through leukemia and suffering greatly in ways that I've never even suffered. But yeah, in general, I think children and their experiences are... Uh, there are things that apply to everyone. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we have, um, part of the issue is I think helping our children to gain perspective on their suffering, um, and to help them see, um, their suffering rightly. I think that's part of what God does with us is to see our suffering as what it truly is and not um, overestimate or underestimate what we're going through. Um, as fathers, we have that, that responsibility to help them, you know, is the fact that your cousin took your Spider-Man toy worthy of you screaming at everyone right now and breaking down in tears? Like, is it really worth that? Um, at the same time as saying, this is your most prized possession in all the universe. And it's a really big deal for someone to just take your most prized possession in all the universe. Like, and, um, that really is just a, um, there's a balance, a constant balance there that we have to strike. And I think God God, you know, I think this is really the a really great analog as we think about our Father in Heaven. When He looks at us, He probably, you know, is it really that big a deal what you're going through? Like, He probably could look at us and think, "Man, what a bunch of crybabies." Um, for you know, and I would say, God the Father, pre-incarnation. Um, probably could look at all of our suffering and say, what are these guys whining about? Um, and I don't know if I'm getting ahead of our, of our discussion here, but what did he do though? He entered into our human suffering. Um, he didn't ignore it. Uh, he didn't, 
um, just wish it away. He entered into it in a physical body in the person of Jesus Christ to take it upon himself. It was real. What he suffered was real. What Jesus suffered real, horrible suffering. And it wasn't just a, a play. It wasn't just, uh, he didn't just spiritually uh, wish it away. He, he experienced it with us. And I think that speaks to something like our children's experiences are real and we can enter into it with them as Christ entered into our suffering. Um, and not just, we can't, we can't keep them from it, but we can, I think that's also really important. We can't keep them from suffering. It's a reality of the universe, but we have to enter into it with them. Yeah. That's, and that's my, that's the next question that it looms in front of us is what do we do? So we, we agree that suffering can happen to kids. So then what do we do when they experience suffering? How do we provide shade to our children the same way that God provides shade to us? Yeah, how do we do that? Um, that's a good question. Pastor Cameron, you have some thoughts? Sure, sure. Yeah, um, I think you've touched on some of this already, so it's going to be familiar. But I think we look for ways to um, sit with them in their suffering, um, but not, but but also offer truth and perspective as well. And we have to use discernment because we don't want to be like Job's friends who say, Okay, I've sat with you for a few minutes now. All right, now here's the truth. Here's why you shouldn't be feeling this way. Um, my sister, who's going through um, some tragic things in her life right now, she said, you know, in all of her in all of her devotion time and meditation on God's word, and just pouring into these resources that are giving her life right now, she said one thing she came across was sometimes we need to just sit in the bad things that are happening and realize that these are just bad things that are happening. And so we don't want to just, which is this is what I tend to do with my son is and with, with my wife is immediately just start giving perspective like, Oh, you know, this is really bad over here. So what we're going through, let's face it a week from now, you're not going to care about that's a weakness of mine because it's uncomfortable to sit in the problem and sit in the suffering. But what we, you know, Joe did that with, uh, God did that to Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't necessarily the best, um, interaction, you know, Yeah. of, Oh, you're, you've been suffering a lot and now you're questioning it. Well, let me give you a little bit of perspective. And you know, God has <laughs> the perfect timing and discernment that we lack. We lack. So yes, that's not an excuse so. to like, not be like God. Cause of course, we should always attain to be perfect as he is perfect. But you know what I mean? You know, we, we need to sit with them and their suffering, but not, not just sit in their suffering and just wallow eternally. Like we exemplify the fruits of the spirit. We show them what forgiveness and grace is because as they grow older, their suffering is going to be because people are hurting them and they're not going to learn how to forgive 
their enemies from the world and the culture. So we have to be be careful that in our empathy, we don't just sit and be bitter and never get anywhere, but that we have the fruit of the Spirit and forgiveness and grace as the shade because that's radical and it's um, it's a miracle and it's a supernatural thing when we can show our kids actually we can forgive the murderer and we can show grace to the thief and um, yeah that's otherworldly and yet that's pretty liberating when it comes to enduring suffering and then Hebrews 4.15 is a passage that is really key when we think about our individual suffering where the author of Hebrews tells us that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Um, And so when we as dads discern it's time to speak the biblical truth into the moments of suffering, as difficult as those moments might be, this is a it's an incredible passage to share with them and to live out with them is that Christ, like you said just a moment ago, Brando, entered into and co-suffers with us in our pain because he's experienced it. Um, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, speaks about this chapter upon chapter upon chapter um, where he explains that in this verse that Christ um, doesn't just look at us and say, oh yeah, I experienced that too, you'll get over it, um, in this almost deistic pers- perspective of of God and, and man, but instead he is with us in it. The things that cause us to suffer, yes, they were endured by Christ, so it's not like he's still paying for that now. He did pay for it once for all, but he's still shouldering that with us in the present. So there's still that tension of there's still brokenness, there's still sin, there's still death, there's still intense suffering we are um, still in it, and so grateful, we we should be so grateful that he's still in it with us. Also, I think it's important that we are vulnerable and honest with them, and explain to them that it's okay to be in a place of need, uh, kind of going along with what we open with, that it's uncomfortable to talk about suffering, and we like to avoid it, we like to turn the news off or scroll past it quickly. I know I'm not alone in that. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. How do I deal with this? The same thing with when they're dealing with suffering is let them know it's okay to be in a place of need because it should point us to our desperate need ultimately for God, but also a desperate need for one another and for a father, a mother, the people around them. If we only show them how invincible we are as dads. We never suffer. Nothing ever affects us. And we, like you guys were talking about, where we just isolate ourselves from suffering. That's really going to mess our kids up. And it's going to give them this warped sense of life. And they will have no idea what to do when they do experience intense suffering. What What do you guys think about that? Yeah, and we have we have got to mirror, role model, demonstrate as much as possible that honesty and real life of man when suffering happens when sad things happens when things even minor inconveniences get you angry you know saying 
this really, this really makes me sad. But what I'm going to do is, you know, later tonight, I'm going to decompress. I'm going to spend some time with God and seek comfort from him because I know that he'll give it because he promises that he will. And I have faith in that. And so I know that I'm maybe a little crusty right now because I'm dealing with this, but I know where I'm going to go and to, to seek some comfort. And so be patient with me and like that kind of honesty. And I can, I could see in that experience, a child seeing their father demonstrating that he receives shade from God. I should also, I can also, um, I ought to also seek shade from God. Um, like my father does. One of the really cool moments recently with Lucas was telling him about, and I don't think I wrote it down. Sometimes I get to write these things down, but sometimes I just can't can't get to it in time to remember it all. But it had to do with sin, and I remember the 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 look on his face when I said, "Oh yeah, I sin, and my sin's bad," and it was just like what? And I think like in that same way, like. I've not intentionally tried to not sin around him. I mean, I yell. I get angry. Like, I sin. He just hasn't recognized it as such. But I think it's important that they see us, like you just said, Matt. They see us suffer. I think that's healthy for them. And then in the suffering, they see us praise Jesus' name. Yeah. Even if we have to come back to it later, which often probably is the case, because it's hard in the moment yeah and then they won't feel alone when it's hard for them too yeah for sure on to can't let it go and that's a section of our podcast where we just talk about some things that are on our mind some things we can't uh let go of and uh and do a little discussion then we'll wrap up um i'll start my can't let it go is statistics i've discovered in school that i really 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 love statistics Uh, i never thought i would ever say that my entire life i'm a kid that uh, flunked out of pre-algebra, um, had to retake it, barely got a C minus. Um, probably they just didn't want me to take school another year and graduated me. Um, and never thought that I would ever have to encounter math again in my life in any practical way, but I'm getting my PhD. Research is a part of that and research requires math and the math that researchers do is statistics. So here I am again, encountering math but i love it it is so awesome i love everything that's going into it and the some of the textbooks i'm having to read are some of the most entertaining fun textbooks i've ever read it just it makes it awesome and uh i never thought i would say that about myself so that's something i can't let go just finished up my midterm so it's on my mind good for you matt <laughs> there's got to be some people out there that love it right there must be yeah 
Statistics. I have recently become kind of obsessed with uh, Matt Walsh. I don't know why. Have uh, you? Those of you who may or may not know who that is, he's a uh, conservative um, podcast host. Uh, he honestly look looks a lot like Matt and I. <laughs> he's got dark hair and a big dark beard and thick black glasses and uh, – I, I I find him uh refreshing in his uh common sense and uh hilarious in his deadpan de- delivery of of sarcasm uh and I recently bought a t-shirt that has a picture of a baby with his head on it and it says sweet baby gang so uh cuz that's what he calls his fans the sweet baby gang <laughs> Uh, but, is this a podcast we should be like recommending and putting in our show notes, or just a uh, passing? Passing. Hey, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not condoning it. I Matt has uh, his ups and well, downs, doesn't he? <laughs> well, I will say this. I think Matt. I wouldn't agree with him on everything, um, but I think you could go. You could find a lot worse uh, role models and thinkers out there. I think he cares deeply about the family. He cares deeply about um, Christian values and society and uh, raising your children and, and different things. So I, I, he encourages me. Um, yeah, I mean, I would recommend him, but I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't give that as the ble- the blank of like everything he says is is gold. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the listeners out there should be very very weary of wary of anything that we say you have to listen to everything all of its truth and all of its gold yeah uh, if we agreed. don't if we don't give a dose of discernment critical thinking yeah let's try and work it out wrestle with it a little bit we're probably not doing that ourselves right and so i think that that kind of statement about the podcast hey i could stand behind that all day long yeah so that's my can't let it go the other one was i just got back from florida and I hate the beach. Um. <laughs> Dude, you know how much of the new heavens and new earth is going to be beach. I hope not you. much of it. I hope not much. No, I actually did have a good time. I, uh, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, I actually listened to Matt Walsh in my beach house while the family was out on the beach. Oh man. <laughs> so, you know, do you not even like the ocean? I think it's beautiful. I just don't want it touching me. That's <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Man. Incredible. I just don't want it touching me. Yeah, I'll look at it from afar. What do you got, Camp Chops? So in the last couple of years, I've really uh, enjoyed podcasts. Um, they've been really edifying to me. And what I've found is it's really healthy for me and I think it's healthy for everybody to listen to things that might not be what what your normal dose is, maybe of the people around you or maybe the way you the way you grew up thinking. So uh, I really appreciate podcasts that make me think and make me uh, listen and consider other people in the faith, other people in, in our faith of Christianity that see things a little bit differently than me. 
So one podcast that does that for me regularly is the Holy Post podcast with Phil Vischer and Sky Jathani. And so I, re- I recommend it because it just will make you think a little bit differently on some issues. And they, uh, ha- they recently had Esau McCauley on, who's, um, who's a doctor, um, got his PhD, and he's an author, and just super, super uh, awesome um, guy. But to- today's podcast, I think it came out today or yesterday, they were talking about, uh, Esau was just talking about a New York Times article he wrote about um, winning and losing and how as his frustration with Christian politicians who are just so quick to want to fight and kill and wage war. And he's not fully pacifist, so he's not completely against war or borders or those things but it was just it was really refreshing because it's kind of where I've been for a long time he says you know what if 20 years ago after 9-11 we invested a trillion or two trillion dollars in trying to help instead of 20 years down the road now we've spent three trillion dollars or whatever it's been and nothing has really improved and gotten better and he says, you know, what if what if our Christian politicians ran on a platform of Christian value where we're choosing peace, forgiveness, grace, and trying to build things up? Even if we lose, that was his whole thing. It's like, even if we lose, history will look back and we can see, oh, Christ's way is better than this way. And it was just so... It was just so amazing just to hear. And of course, I'm not very optimistic that that would ever happen. But like, if you think about it, like as Christians, we, even those Christian politicians that, that get into places of influence, when it comes to viol- you know, revenge or retribution or that sort of thing on a national scale, kind of just doesn't depend, it doesn't really matter who the president is. The response is always what? We will not forgive. We will come after you and kill you. And I was like, wow, like, he's got a good point. That's that's not what Jesus would say, you know. And I don't know. So I can't let that go. It's really, really challenging for me to think think about that. Yeah. Well, that's us here at Abba Father. We love the challenge. We love the critical thinking. Um We also love to grow, Um, grow as fathers, grow as people, grow as pastors, grow as employers, Um, and we hope that you are growing too, brothers and sisters, if you're out there. So if you're encouraged by the podcast, share it with others, review it wherever you get it, um, and hopefully people can see that, and if they're looking for some God-honoring parenting resources... If you want to contact us, you can send us an email at abbafatherpod at outlook.com. Send an audio message. Send us some topics that are on your mind. Say hello, whatever you want to do. Um, But most importantly, wrapping up as we always do, remember Romans 8.15. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba Father.
See you next time.